Welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with another album review this week. We're talking about none other than Alice Cooper's classic album, Welcome to My Nightmare. You know, this album came out, believe it or not, in 1975. Uh, I was three. And I don't know at what point I heard uh, this album. I could say there's a very good chance I heard Only Women Bleed when I was younger. I I remember, uh, I don't know if we had the 45 of that. I know we didn't have the album in our our cabinet growing up, but uh, I'm sure I heard Only Women Bleed. It might have been on the radio too, very possible. But uh, this is such a great album. And what's interesting is, you know, it came out in February. I, of course, associate it with autumn and, and Halloween. But there's a reason for that, which I'm going to get into. But this album was produced by Bob Ezrin, who has done a ridiculous number of top hit albums uh, throughout his career. And uh, recently he's put his uh, stamp on Deep Purple's albums and done an amazing job. I think they're writing some of the best stuff they've ever written, in my opinion. And, And it's great to see the way that he sees things. He just he just makes decisions. And he just knows he's just one of those people that is doing what he was born to do, much like Alice Cooper. Um, and the history of Alice Cooper is I've I've dug in a little and listened to some interviews and, and things from, you know, his history and just thinking about how bold and how how much he believed in himself and how much he wanted this and how hard he fought for it. Uh, just showing up at Frank Zappa's house and, and, you know, saying, here's some music. What do you think? You know? Um, pretty amazing. Zappa was, aside from being an insane musician, which he absolutely was, there's no doubt about it. The, the albums that he made were to this day, I think some of the most interesting and bizarre, but also, uh, you know, some of the musical passages, they just kind of, they go nowhere. Like they're, they're almost more soundtrack stuff. And we'll get into that, uh, at some point when, when I cover, uh, one of his projects or a couple of his projects, which I, I have in mind to, uh, to do, down the road. But um, yeah, so why I associate this album with fall. So of course, you know, there's the Halloween thing, you know, Welcome My Nightmare is a great uh, horror theme. But this album is not that dark. It's really not, uh, especially for an Alice. I think uh, Goes to Hell is a darker album. But this has some great themes. Um, It's just like musically, I don't find it to be that dark. Uh, There's some weird stuff on here, like especially Escape. Musically, Escape is a very dark and weird journey. But uh, overall, musically, I think there's there's like points that are a little bit jazzy. There's some a uh, little bit of rock and roll on here, but uh, it's not like a horror soundtrack is what I mean. So when I tend to think dark, I tend to think like horror soundtrack tones, um, you know, maybe some pads or some, you know, background effects like wind and howling and uh, chain rattling and that sort of thing. But uh, no, this is just a great collection of songs that happen to have darker themes. And uh, the other reason I think when I got into this album uh, was probably, let's see, we left in 88, we left Michigan in 88. So I'm going to say probably 87, either fall fall of 86 or fall of 87. I think it was 87. But I remember um, when I was a member of Key Club in high school and my brother was vice president, I would go on to be vice president next year, but couldn't really serve because we moved. Um the uh we we were doing some event and it was it was like an hour or so away and i can't remember exactly what it was i think it was it was something representing kiwanis and key club i remember that and it was something at a 
like a television station or something. I just remember sitting in this this one room. I don't remember a lot about it, but I remember sitting in this one room with my brother and it was kind of like a, a cozy little place. I think there was a fireplace. It was kind of like maybe a waiting room or something for the station. We weren't on the air. I don't know if we actually did anything, but I remember that was the same year that we went down to the post office and helped uh, sort mail for the Jerry Lewis telethon, uh, which boy, they needed people because the amount of letters they would get was just insane. I mean, looking at the the bags and bags and carts and, and stuff. It was just like an endless sea. And that was just one little post office in Mount Clemens, Michigan. So uh, an, an absolutely amazing event. But in any case, uh, I remember in particular, uh, we listened a lot to um, Billion Dollar Babies and Welcome to My Nightmare around that time. Um, this would be... Oh, you know what? This must have been 87 then because he was vice president and I would become vice president in 88 um, for the school year of, of 88, 89, but we moved. So yeah, that's right. So this would have been um, 86, 87. No, 87, 88. No. Math is hard when you can't think. When you haven't had enough coffee... Math is hard. So, okay, so we left in, in the 87, 88 school year. So this must have been 86, 87. There you go. I feel better. Uh, it's early morning for me. So forgive my lack of, of uh, internal calculation or verbal calculation. Um, I haven't even had a cup of coffee yet. I wanted to hurry up and, and uh, get going on a podcast because I was all excited to dig into this album. I woke up this afternoon and thought, man, this is I really want to cover this right now before I do anything else. Coffee probably would have been a better idea. But we are where we are. So in any case, here we are, middle of October, getting ready for another Halloween, about to dig into this amazing Alice Cooper album. I say, let's just get into it. Here is the title track, Welcome to My Nightmare. Come on, Alice, isn't that the point? You know, you want to share some horrible nightmare you've had. The whole point is to kind of put people on their edge. But this song, I mean, it starts out a little dark, sure. Um, kind of just gives a, an overall theme for the album. But then when it gets into the song, it's a little bit jazzy, a little bit rock and roll. There's some horns that come in. Um, it's, it's actually just a really good song. And I don't find it, uh, other than the lyrics and, and the opening, I don't find it to be uh, a dark song uh, by any means. I don't think it's like a horror theme song. It's just a nice little, you know, light rock, maybe a little borderline on a little bit of jazz kind of tune. And um, I love the passion, though, that, that he sings with. It's, it doesn't matter 
what he's singing about, he always just puts so much of himself in, in every song. And I really like that. He knows when to dial back and just lay the bass. He knows when to, you know, really emphasize. He's got some grit in his voice, which makes him really a powerful singer. And to this day, I mean, when I listen to him sing more recent stuff, uh, he sounds really just as good to me as he ever did. And I think he's he is another one like Deep Purple, just writing some of the best stuff he's ever written. The thing is, we tend to look at these albums that we've known for a long period of time as classics, or these are the things that we know him as. So anything he's doing now is not the same as what we know. So it's foreign. We like it less. Uh, he's changed, man. You know, that kind of thing. And, and honestly, you know, we know the albums that we know. They're part of our history. But the new stuff, you've just got to be open-minded to it. You've got to say... Here's where he's progressed to from where he was in 75 to where he is in 2023 with this new album that he's just put out. And just listen to the music. Don't try to compare it. Don't try to, you know, worry about what he's done that he didn't do before, didn't, you know, doesn't do that he did before. Just stop caring about all that. Just listen to the music. You're either going to like it or you're not. But if you go in with preconceived notions, if you go in with this, yeah, but it's not the same kind of mentality you're not giving the music a fair chance. And he's writing some really good stuff these days. So check it out. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to get back to Welcome to My Nightmare. One of my favorites on this is called Devil's Food. I love the feeling of this song. I mean, the, the mood of it is just amazing. I, I don't know how to describe what it is or how it makes me feel, but it just puts me in this place that I really enjoy being in. Lots of flange on this. There's, there's I think, if I remember right, and I'll, I'll have to think kind of track by track, but there's a lot of flange on this album. Uh, more so when it comes to the vocals, I think, than, than anything else, but some musically too. Uh, this is a really cool song. Uh, it's a little bit slower. Um, the album really, it's, it's not like a rock album where it really has, you know, um, aggressive or assertive tempos. It's just a good collection of songs. It's a concept album. It's a storytelling album more than anything else, I think. So, um, as I recall, you know, I have to go to, to give it another chance because I only listened to the second Welcome to My Nightmare album that came out, I think in the 2000s. Um, I only listened to it once and I was like, eh, but I think I was kind of doing that thing I was just complaining about where people are like, well, it's not the same and, and all that. So I, I really, you know, I'm going to have to go back and give it a fair open-minded shake and see how I feel about it. Cause you know, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't have put it out if he didn't think it was worth putting out. I'm sure Bob Ezrin would have stepped in and said, you know, guys, this, this isn't really one that's worth, you know, doesn't, doesn't, it's not up to snuff. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to go back and give that another chance because I'm sure there's some really good stuff on there. 
but uh yeah this is a cool song i love the feel of it 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 ends with this little uh part with a marching snare some interesting background sounds and goes into a voiceover from vincent price walking some people through what seems like a like a museum or something and they've got to the spiders and uh you know some kids probably banging on the glass and um he's he's starting to talk about the spiders and then he kind of goes into this almost catatonic explanation when he gets to the black widow and how powerful and uh, it is and how it's going to take over the world and we're going to be it's you know subservient creatures it's really cool and that leads into our next song the black widow these words he speaks are true. We're all humanary stew. We don't pledge allegiance to the Black Widow. The horror that he'll bring. The horror of his sting. The unholiest of kings. Black Widow. Our minds will be his toy, and every girl and boy will learn to be employed. The Black Widow. I absolutely love this song. This is definitely our rocker on the album. Um, those little breaks and then the, the fills that we just heard uh, as the song was fading out, um, those little transitionary parts, I really dig. There's some great guitar playing on this album. Uh, Alice is in top form. He, he just sings so passionately. It's like, regardless of the subject, you really feel like this is happening. You know, like we're eventually going to have arachnid overlords and that's just going to be the way it is. And for some reason, you're okay with it because he just makes you feel comfortable about it. But uh, boy, going going back to Vincent Price, man, I wish he would have been around in the days of audiobook narration because he I mean, he could have had just an incredible career sitting around reading books, thinking about like H.P. Lovecraft or uh, you know doing some Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, him doing The Raven would have been amazing. Uh, although we did get a great version of James Earl Jones doing that on um, on The Simpsons. But uh, yeah, he's such a great voice. He was a, a guest on Roger Glover's The Butterfly Ball and the Grasshopper's Feast as the narrator, did a fantastic job there. But he just had such um, like he, he was he had a refined way about him, kind of like a, a masculine elegance, if you will. He carried himself very well. He was very well spoken, but he just had this voice, which is why Michael Jackson used him for Thriller. And I remember, in fact, he was on... The Tonight Show, I think it was, that was being hosted by Joan Rivers one night. And boy, talk about a night for Johnny not to be there. Vincent Price came on and he actually read the um, the speech from Thriller, which he had never done live before. He'd only done it in the studio recording and he did, of course, an amazing job. Um, but yeah, that's why he was tapped for that because he's absolutely incredible voice and he knew how to read. He knew where to put the inflections. And it, it wasn't a deep voice, but it has deep voice qualities to it which just makes it so powerful. And then being so articulate on top of that, just, just an absolutely amazing artist. Um, but anyway, uh, getting back to the song. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I, I really dig it. It's got great energy to it. Again, the music is not really dark, but the theme is, 
And I think it just really works for this album. The music is kind of all over the place, but you would expect that somewhat with a concept album. You know, it's not just going to be, I mean, you could do like what Queensryche did and you can have like little vignettes in between the songs that push the story along and are not musical. And, but the songs were all rock and roll. You know, there was a little bit of sound design, but it was really in those vignettes, not behind the music a whole lot. There was a little bit here and there. But for the most part, it was in those stories, which sometimes crossed into the beginning of a song. But this is kind of the classic take on what a, you know, what an album would be that has a concept. It's it's almost like a concept to a movie that you're not seeing. That's what a concept album is. And so you kind of expect there's going to be some sound design. There's going to be some weird transitions. There's going to be some non-standard, you know, standard songwriting stuff. And this album, I think, is a great combination of both. I think it flows wonderfully. I I think there's a lot of elements in here that, you know, like adding Vincent Price and and his just kind of going nuts thinking about his his Black Widow and all that. Just really make the album overall a, a, a treasure for me anyway. And of course, as I always say, part of that is the nostalgia of the fact that this was an early influence on me. I'm a concept album writer, so obviously it had an impact, but uh, it's just a damn good album. You know, I mean, I didn't, when I heard it, I wasn't like, I want to write concept albums. It's just part of that, just as much as Operation Mindcrime was from Queensryche, um, just part of that combination of things that made me want to write stories. Butterfly Ball would be another one. Um, But of course, I tended to go the darker route with my stuff because I enjoy writing that. But in any case, Black Widow, excellent song, well worth listening, uh, great transitions, great guitar work. Um, check it out. Our next song uh, is kind of a departure. This is this is where I feel like there's a couple of songs on this album that are a little bit disconnected from the narrative. I, I don't know how this fits in. I've, I've never found a, um, a way to link it to the overall concept of the album. But uh, in any case, it's on there and we're going to listen to it. It's called Some Folks. And folks is such an ant. Who says folks anymore? Some folks love to see red. Some folks never talk about it. Some folks crave a blue lady. Some folks know still to doubt it. Don't get me wrong. I really like the song. I, I think it's a lot of fun. I just like that finger snapping tempo, the the gentleness of it. Um, it gets kind of crazy later on in the song, which which I really like. Uh, then it kind of comes back into this part where it's a little bit slower and more controlled. And, um, and it ends with almost like a, a show tune type ending, something that you would expect in a stage play, a musical. Um, but I, I'm not sure how the, the narrative of it fits. So if anybody knows... Please reach out to me because I would I would love to uh, to understand how this song ties into the whole uh, Welcome to My Nightmare concept. But on its own, very cool song. I really dig it. Uh, and we're going to get even more mellow now. 
Now we're going to get into uh, one of his his most well-known songs. It's called Only Women Bleed. This song to me has always been one that shows what Alice Cooper could do aside from the makeup. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's an ugly story about a relationship, but just just his way of singing, his way of telling a story goes far beyond just the fun of horror and and the themes that he usually goes with. And even the theme of this song, it just shows what he can do as a singer. And you think, Man, this guy went on to play King Herod in one of the versions of Jesus Christ Superstar and did an amazing job. I actually would have preferred he play Pontius Pilate. To have heard that exchange between Pilate and Jesus, I think, would have been just amazing with Alice Cooper. But because Alice Cooper is known as like a showman and and all of that, um, he did the role of Herod, which I think probably fit the Alice Cooper character better, but just as a vocalist, as somebody who could sing a song like this, I would absolutely love, love, love to hear him sing like uh, Pilot and Christ, you know, which is the one with the lashes. It's a bit longer. I mean, you can cut out the lashes because that's just a count to 40. And even though it builds up the tension, I think that worked better on the the movie soundtrack than it does just on the record. Um, but, uh, apart from that, like just that exchange, especially after the, the lashings, when Pilate's just like at wit's end and he's screaming, just begging Jesus. And I would have loved to have heard Alice do that. Cause I think when you listen to a song like this and you think, okay, you know, he can, he can do these songs where a lot of them are talking, you know, he's, he's mumbling or talking or, you know, just, just telling a story in some of these. And it's not always singing that he does. But in a song like this, where it's just all vocal, all singing um, with a nice backing track and and some parts that are really, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Epic, I want to say, you know, when the horns come in and uh, it it very uh, theatrical, theatrical is the word I'm looking for. There we go. Very theatrical would be great on a stage. Um, but, But the quality of his voice, what he can really do, his true singing abilities I think really come out in a song like this. So uh, if there's anyone out there listening who has any influence over Alice, who can get him to do a version of uh, Pilot and Christ, for the love of God, let me know, because I'd love to hear it. (laughs) For the love of God. There you go. Uh, So great song, though. Now we're going to get to uh, another song that I kind of feel, you know, I feel like this is a little bit like some folks. I don't really understand how it fits the, the theme of the album. Uh, and that's okay. You know, maybe it's not as much of a concept album as I think it is because there's a couple songs on here that really don't seem to fit. Um, but I still think of it as a concept album because it does feel like it has a progression. But in any case, let's listen to it. Here is Department of Youth. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it's it is such a good song, though, and uh, I I have to think, you know, using uh, the pronunciation of the word youth as Ute, I have to wonder if there wasn't maybe a little inspiration that helped uh, my cousin Vinny along with that scene uh, where uh, Joe Pesci says the two Utes and the judges not understanding what he's talking about because, of course, we had to push the uh, the notion that there was a, a barrier between them because we didn't get that point enough. Um, but you know, it played on the New York accent thing and, and being down in the South for the trial. It was, it was a cool scene, but I I really think they kind of overplayed that whole adversarial thing a little bit. Uh, but that's a, that's a movie and this is an album. So we're going to talk about the album. So this is just a cool song. It's a fun song. Um, it's got a really good feel to it. It's not, um, not a rocker exactly, but, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's got a good tempo, a good feel, um, you feel again, Al- Alice's passion singing the song, uh, but there's some great music in here, you know, and I was thinking too, at the, in the beginning of the song, really appreciating the mix because this album is mixed so well. It's tough when you have different elements, uh, with like multiple keyboard sounds, you've got different guitar effects, um, a lot of flanging, a lot of backing vocals. Um, but this album is so beautifully mixed. I, I absolutely love it. I don't think there's anything I've ever thought Ooh, that was out of place, or that strikes me as as odd, or anything at all. I, I've always thought it was beautifully, beautifully mixed. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to the end of the song, actually, and, and play you guys the end of it because there's a little bit of a uh, comedy here that uh, I find enjoyable. And again, part of the reason I, I feel this is an awkward song for this album because it takes away from the you know the darker theme of it. So uh, here's that clip. Of course, uh, Donny Osmond, the famous uh, brother from the Donny and Marie duo, uh, had a show on in the 70s on television, uh, which was um, kind of a variety show, I want to say. I remember there being a lot of music because they're both singers. Uh, Then they had a show here at the Flamingo for a long time. And uh, just last year, the year before, boy, you know, time references are so crazy. I was telling a friend of mine, I think the whole... COVID period has really just screwed up everybody's perception of time because everything just seemed to be kind of suspended. And, you know, that was a long time where we were in lockdown. I mean, it was months and it didn't, um, you know, it slowly let up. But I think when we look back at that time, it doesn't necessarily feel like as long as it was. So I think it's really kind of skewed our perception of time. 
Um, but anyway, so there was uh, there was w- when they were performing together, and then Marie decided she wasn't going to do the show anymore, and Donnie decided to keep going. So he is still pro- performing at the Flamingo, and um, and she has moved on to whatever she's moved on to. I'm not writing an A&E biography on him, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, re- I remember them being a part of my youth. I remember them being on television. I remember, uh, you know, new shows being broadcast. So uh, it was it was a cool joke in the in the sh- in the uh, song. I don't know why he picked Donnie, but Donnie was a popular character at the time. So maybe just that. Uh, and I love his reaction. Just that what. <laughs> but it's it's that he's such an actor, you know, such a realistic instead of just saying what, you know, kind of coming in with a concern or whatever, like you could feel like he's really hurt and, and shocked, you know, and uh, that's that's just the beauty of uh, of Alice's talent. Um, I, I could never talk enough about how much I, I think um, he's really found something special in the music world. He created it and um, he really made it a thing. And I would have to say there was probably some influence from, you know, maybe Arthur Brown. But Alice really developed something very, very unique. And and he's still doing it to this day. I mean, you know, 50 years later, he's he's still Alice Cooper and still making albums and uh, and touring and doing his thing. And, and let me just interject before I get to the next song. And I think I might have mentioned this when I did Goes to Hell. I've seen Alice Cooper live twice. Uh, the first time was a full show. And that was when uh, Kane Roberts was his guitar player and Kip Winger was his bass player. And saw them at Joe Louis Arena on Halloween night. It was incredible. Um, he did all the things. He, you know, he hung himself. He cut his head off. Uh, everything, you know, he pulled out all the stops. But what was amazing to me even then, and I had kind of forgotten until I saw him again a few years ago, how he just, it, it just feels like he's actually commanding everything that happens on stage. And you know, it's all pre-planned, but things can go wrong. I'm, I'm sure that he has shows where things, you know, break down or don't happen at the right time or whatever. But it really feels like he is such a puppet master. It feels like no one does anything without his allowing them to do it or making them do it, whichever it is. But it's just it's such a unique, almost magician like performance that, you know, like when you when you've got the magician's assistant, and the magician is making moves like you feel like he's controlling them, even though, you know, he's really not. Um, it's like that from the beginning to the end of the show. I feel like the guitar player doesn't play a note that he doesn't allow or the drummer doesn't hit a, a single drum that he didn't make him hit. And that's so powerful. So powerful, especially when he has no connection with the drummer through the whole show. The drummer's just kind of like there as as almost like a witness. Um, it, it's just spectacular. And then when I saw him again a few years ago, um, he wasn't doing a full show. He and Deep Purple were co-headlining. So they each did a slightly diminished set. Uh, but he still did all kinds of stuff. And it was just as amazing as I had remembered seeing him uh, back in 1987 on Halloween night. Just, um, God, just unbelievable. So while he is still touring, let let me double and triple underline this and highlight it in whatever color will draw your attention. If you get the chance, even if you're not the biggest fan, if you're just a fan of theater, go and see him. I promise you it is worth it. Uh, it's it's just incredible. I mean, there's no way I can, I, I can describe it to an extent, but there's nothing that really compares to actually being there and witnessing it. I've watched videos and you get some element of it, but and maybe it's only because I was there and I've seen it live, 
but there is just something so incredibly magical about seeing this happening in front of you. Definitely worth whatever the ticket price is, unless it's like YouTube prices and then fuck that. Um, so that was Department of Youth. Now we're going to get into a, one of his more controversial songs, uh, but also most popular. It's called Cold Ethel. Well, first of all, who doesn't love some cowbell on a 70s album, right? I think the cowbell is such a lost uh, percussion instrument. You hear it in in um, more like Hispanic music. Cowbells still uh, used quite a bit from what I've heard. But boy, you don't hear it that much in rock and roll anymore. And uh, it's, it's sadly missed. Um, but this one's got a nice tempo to it. It's got a good feel. It's really more about the story. Uh, there's some great guitar playing in here too, by the way. Uh, when you when you listen to the full song, uh, give that a, a focus because there's some really good stuff there. But, uh, you know, I, I've considered over the years going to mortician school and, uh, you know, like working in a funeral home, uh, doing, uh, you know, like the makeup and stuff on the bodies because it's it's a job where you're isolated. You don't have to deal with anybody um, you kind of work at your own pace. I mean, you've got a time limit, obviously. Um, and I don't, I don't think it would take too long to get used to being around a dead body. Um, but I certainly wouldn't take it this far, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't care how beautiful they are. There's, there's like zero temptation to have any inappropriate, uh, touching uh, at all. Like it would just be the job, get it done. Um, not that job. But uh, yeah, I've always thought that would be a cool job. Um, I have a friend that actually went to school for that. And I don't think, I can't remember if she ever did, did the work now or not. I'll have to ask her. But um, it, it's such an interesting field, you know, because there's so much that you have to know medically. You have to, to work out the rigor mortis, um, all that stuff. You have to keep the, everything preserved and looking good. So you have all those things to deal with, clotting and, and lack of blood flow and all that to counter, counterbalance. I, I'm sure it's a fascinating science, um, but I, I never did uh, anything about it. Um, I kind of like that I work at home and I don't have to leave the house. I still don't have to deal with anybody, which is great. Um, only on the very, very minimal occasion do I ever have to have a conversation with anybody about anything, uh, which is really kind of up my alley as I've just withdrawn, with, withdrawn, withdrew, withdrawn, withdrawn. There you go. Coffee's kicking in. Yeah, great job. Uh, thank you, Folgers. Uh, withdrawn from uh, from just interaction because most of them have been unpleasant. So, you know, my my time is too precious to be brought down by uh, all of that. So, um, but certainly I would never take it this far. <laughs> just never. But again, this kind of like this, this fits the theme, but it's also kind of comedic, which you would expect from Alice Cooper. So again, why I don't feel this is that dark of an album. 
uh, I don't know if this this categorized is a rocker or not. I mean, it's got a little bit of an up-tempo to it. It's got a good cowbell hit. Uh, maybe, you know, could be. It's got a good g- distorted guitar on it. Um, great bass also, by the way. Check out the bass. Um, but it's a lot of fun. You know, it's absolutely a lot of fun. Um, interesting song. And of course, you know, this is the kind of thing that I don't know how much it would happen now. Probably lesser, I think, than it would have in the 70s. But this was the thing where all the rumors started coming out that this was a true story, that Alice Cooper had really, you know, broken into like um, a, a morgue or in, and had sex with a corpse and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't, why can't artists just write creative songs? I mean, if we only wrote about things that we knew about, it would be really boring. Hey, here's another song about me going to work. Or hey, here's another song about what life in high school is. Or You know, it would just be just so ridiculous. And I love the fact that we as creatives can write about things that we don't know or don't understand or or we're like, you know, let's just dig into this and and think about this topic for a minute. I wrote a whole album about um, what it's like to be addicted to drugs, and I've never been addicted to drugs. So I don't know what that's like. It was written from an outsider's perspective of what they think it would be like if you lived in that world. You know, even a lot of rapsters don't live the gangster life, but yet that's what their songs are all about. You know, it, it, they, they, it's it's a show, guys. We can write about anything. You know, why is it okay to write about like Star Wars, right? Like you can write about this entire other world and there's good and bad and all this stuff happens and nobody's like, well, he went back in time to a, a you know, to a, a different uh, universe or whatever and he wrote this. No, nobody accused George Lucas of anything, but you you write a song about something that's taboo and people just assume that that this is writing from experience. And it really, I think there's so many artists that that kind of mentality stifles. So my suggestion to you guys out there, just write what you want to write about. You know, if if people are dumb enough to think that you're writing from experience when you're not, and maybe some of you are, I mean, necrophilia is a thing. Um, but most people probably aren't writing songs about it and putting it out there because they would be afraid of getting caught. So if you put a song out there, it's probably more likely that you didn't do it and you just think it's an interesting topic to delve into than anything else. So I don't know. I I think that that really is just kind of damaging to the creative world when people start rumors like that. Um, and it certainly wasn't fun for Alice, but but it also probably boosted his career in the same way that the PMRC boosted the careers of a lot of bands that would have never even been heard of had it not been for the PMRC saying, don't listen to these guys. And then everybody's like, wait a minute, I want to listen to these guys. I want to find out what's so bad about them and then end up liking them. And some of those albums, you know, they sold very well because the PMRC said, don't do this. You know, much like the Twinkie defense, you can't have Twinkies. Well, who are you to tell me I can't have them? I'm going to go pay a hundred bucks for a box on eBay right now. That's the biggest thing. You tell people they can't have something and they want it more. So you guys cannot have this podcast. No more. Turn it off right now. You're not allowed. Now I expect those numbers to triple by the end of this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Such a psychological strategy. Uh, Anyway, now we're getting into my two favorite songs on the album. I absolutely love these. I've listened to them so many times. I would love to really understand how they came to be. You know, uh, they're just so interesting. So I'm just going to go ahead and play the first one. This is called Years Ago, and it goes a little something like this.
Okay, so I just got curious and I read something, which I, I'm sorry, I should have made sure that you were all sitting down before I said that. Um, apparently, this whole album is the journey of, of Stephen, which is our next song. Um, I'll have to really go back and dissect that and, and see how I feel about it, because I don't know how everything quite fits in. But um, I've always thought that this was the story of like... Uh, I don't know if I if I thought like two fetuses and one absorbed the other one or, you know, one died and this is his spirit. I, I've had all kinds of different feelings about this song. But the first thing is it has a little bit of a carnival theme to it, you know, like a little bit of a horror movie that da, 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 uh, feel that I always associate with a carnival and then um, just has this gentle vocal. It's it's the the effect on the vocals make me feel like the song is being sung from inside the womb. And he even says, all my toys are broken and so am I inside, Mom. Um, the carnival is closed years ago. Um, great lyric, great lyrics. Um, and I feel, I've always felt like this was kind of the spirit that was haunting Stephen, that he kind of has this back and forth dialogue with in his head. But is it in his head? Is it not in his head? Is it an actual ghost of his twin brother, um, you know, all kinds of possibilities I've had in my head. And I usually don't think that deeply into something. I usually kind of just enjoy it for what it is. But this is, it's such an amazing piece of music. And I'd love to know, even just musically, how it came about. Like, did did one person sit down and write this and Alice came and wrote a story over it? Was the story written and they put it to music? How did all these ideas for sounds and things come together? I mean, this is one of those ones that I've dissected musically and and I think has probably had a, a bit of a influence on how I write some of my horror stuff because the elements are just amazing. I, I think it's such a crazy song. And then the overall, like the mix and the tonal qualities and everything, it's just perfect. It's just absolutely perfect. And then, of course, it goes into Stephen, uh, which we're going to hear right now. I 
you know, that little piano part that we're hearing right now and, and uh, we heard at the beginning of the song that really minds, reminds me of the opening music of The Exorcist. And The Exorcist came out uh, two years earlier in 73 and uh, was just a, a masterpiece, an absolute masterpiece. And um, spoiler alert for an episode ahead, John Matola and I are going to be breaking down the history of horror movies. Um, we've recorded part of it, and um, I don't know if we're going to do the second part this year or not, but it started out as let's just pick a few horror movies of our favorites and talk about them, and it turned into let's kind of just do the history of horror movies. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to continuing that conversation. So that will be coming uh, towards the end of the month. If not on the end of the month, it all just depends on uh, how interviews I've, I've reached out for come together. But in any case, we're talking about Welcome to My Nightmare. Uh, and the second album was called Welcome to the Number Two My Nightmare. And there are references to Stephen on other albums. Uh, Goes to Hell is one of them. Um, Welcome to My Nightmare is another one. Um, and basically uh, the story of how you know he became a serial killer and all that continues to unfold. Um, so... It's suspected that Stephen is the one that's having sex with dead bodies. He's killing people in Department of Youth. Um, it's his wife that they're talking about and only women bleed. So if, if the story really is all about Stephen, then that would be the tie-in for everything, right? Um, and then I'll have to go kind of break down. I've never really broken down all the lyrics because I'm not a lyrics guy, but I've never really broken them down for this album, really understood what the concept was. I've just kind of accepted that it was a concept album and this feels like it fits and this doesn't and just moved on with my day. But now in the moment, I'm curious. And as soon as this podcast is over, 10 minutes later, I'll forget about it and uh, probably won't do it. But in the moment, it's interesting to think about. But this is a great song. And it goes into a real epic uh, part with the pianos, especially. And then just that gentle being vocal from Alice comes back in. And there's, you know, really strong backups. And um, it just it's just such a powerful song. Musically alone, it's absolutely brilliant. And then you add in the story and the vocal on top of it. And it just, I mean, to me, one of the best songs ever written on an album. And, and, and I say that for the whole like combo of years ago and Steven, I think, because really they belong together as one song. And I think on the cassette, um, I wanted, because originally I had the cassette. I don't think I ever had the vinyl for this one, but I had the cassette and the cassette, um, didn't split anything of course when you when you have the cd version of it everything is split by file id and there's pauses and stuff um there's ways to get around it i can't remember how this one was on the cd because i've ripped everything to my hard drive but um in any case yeah just a really really cool couple of songs that that just work so beautifully together even if there was no other connection on and on this or any other album these two songs just work amazingly well together and, and tell a really dark and interesting tale. Uh, so that was, that was Steven. So now we're going to get into another song that is, uh, again, suspected to be the continuing story of Steven. This is called The Awakening. I must be here sleepwalking, mustn't I? 
from my easy chair looking for my wife. Yeah, I feel like something bad happened. <laughs> um, this is a really cool song. Um, it, it does get into, you know, like full band again, um, but it's really more dramatic and theatrical than it is, say, like a rock and roll or, or, or even a ballad. Um, probably categorized as a ballad. But uh, in any case, again, you know, we've got this really amazing opening with these piano notes that just, they make you feel so awkward and uncomfortable. And I absolutely love that. I would say that if the the song Welcome to My Nightmare was not such a great opener and and scene setter for the album, this musically would have been absolutely amazing. And if it would have started with a guy who killed his wife and then gone back to kind of figure out like Tarantino it and figure out how we got there would have been another really cool way to do it. But as it turns out, I mean, Welcome to My, to my Nightmare, the song is such a great strong opening for the album it's hard to argue anything would have been better but this could have been i mean imagine the uh, the album starting out with this really bizarre creepy piano that feels off time uh and then the guy's like you know i i'm waking up i'm wondering where my wife is and then i realized i killed her that would have been a great opening to the album as well um but they went the way they went and that's that you know but i think this would have set a better time would have made the album darker i think if they would have set the tone with this first um, because Welcome to My Nightmare being a little more jazzy and brassy d- does not set the same tone that this would have. Uh, but it's still a great song. Absolutely great song. It, and then we get to the last one. Um, I, God, I hate saying it that way because it's kind of a it, it's a good song. But again, it's kind of another one where I don't really know how it fits on the album. I don't know how it fits the narrative. I don't know how it fits musically. I think if they would have ended with this... It would because it, it kind of just like drifts out into nothingness, right? So I think that would have made me go, I need to hear this album again. Like right now. I just need to go put it back on and listen to this whole thing again. I'm not sure I get that same thing with this last song. I think honestly, they could have dropped this last song and it would have been a better album. I like the song on its own, but on this album, I don't think it works. That's just me. What do you guys think? Here it is. Escape. Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, at least there's some cowbell. That's always helpful. But again, yeah, I don't I don't really know. I'll have to sit down with the lyrics and that. But I, I think it's a good song, but I don't know. It just, it doesn't really fit. If it had been somewhere maybe in the middle of the album, I probably wouldn't feel that way. But Awakening would have been, or The Awakening would have been such a strong ending for the album. And, and like I said, it would have made me immediately want to hear the whole thing again. I think that's so much stronger of a way to end the album than this particular song. Um, it's a good song on its own, though. You know, it's got a good feel to it. It's a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more pop, I would say. 
Um, got some good energy from Alice in there. Um, again, love the cowbell. Musically, it's pretty solid. Nothing particularly special. Um, but that's the way they chose to to end the album. Now, there is a deluxe edition of this album that has um, another version of Devil's Food. It's an alternate version that the end of it plays out without Vincent Price. So you can hear what was going on musically. And it's actually quite amazing all the things that were thrown in there that you don't notice because you're too busy listening to Vincent Price. And if Vincent Price is there, you're not ignoring him to listen to what's going on around him. That's for sure. He's too commanding of a presence. Uh, there's also another version of Cold Ethel and then another version of The Awakening. Um, really cool stuff. Go check it out. Um, you can still get the album in, in vinyl, obviously. Uh, and then the reissue, I think, was done in vinyl as well. And then, of course, you can get it on CD and um, MP3 download. Uh, I'm sure plenty of cassettes are still floating out there as well. Um, I put the links in the show notes for uh, iTunes and for uh, Amazon. And uh, also the uh, there's a, a live concert um, that you can also check out. Um, really cool stuff, though. Uh, it's it's a great album. I absolutely love it. Like I said, very influential album for me. So I really wanted to kind of dig into it a little bit more. And I'm going to have to dig into it a little bit more because this whole Stephen thing is a, a giant question mark for me right now. But uh, two songs I absolutely love years ago and Stephen, probably the highlights on the album for me. But the whole album is very, very good. Uh, again, I could drop Escape and, and be perfectly happy with the album, probably happier and uh, that's the way it is here in uh, October of 2023. So I hope you guys enjoyed the review. I hope you are inspired enough to go out and get the album. Check it. Check out all the nuances in the songs. Listen to it a couple times and, you know, really see what's going on. Because they threw a lot into this album. Great producing from Bob Ezrin. He even played some of the instruments on the album. Um, great, great musicianship and, and, you know, delivery and the performances from everybody. And of course, incredible vocals from Alice Cooper, as always. So uh, we will be back with another show next week. If not sooner, I don't think I have anything. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else until after the show. But you know what? Uh, between the time I'm recording and the time this comes out, things come up all the time. So we shall see. But thank you guys for joining me on uh, an album I really, really care about. This one means a lot to me. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you in the next one, guys. Cheers. <laughs>